Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley's Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And uh, a celebration, 10 years, and I'm going to be tired. This is crazy. I've done two live marathon days in a matter of two or three weeks. I need a break, a break coming into the holidays. We just, it just. Neil, how you doing? Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. It isn't easy to, to do 10 years of anything. 10 years of marriage, 10 years of business. And look at you. Go on. Exactly. Exciting. About 12,000 shows. That's what uh, interviews. And we have a great guest, but I love this guy. I love him because I think we're brothers, even though we never met in the pro wrestling industry. And a lot of guys, we would have crossed path, past, and it just didn't happen. We ended up even wrestling for the same organization in Germany. And I just met him online. We started holding a conversation and I have been there to help promote him on certain platforms, running his, helping him with Twitter, Instagram, and his Facebook fan page, because he's a very busy guy. So introduce our guest, and I believe he has really a great writer as well. So Dave, you got to push him to write a book at one point in time, because the <laughs> story's beyond belief. Go ahead and introduce our guest. Absolutely. You know, people wonder, where are the wrestlers, right? And, and we have Duke the Dumpster, and he's... He was really big, and now he's doing all sorts of stuff, uh, special needs. So I, I'm excited to have him on. I mean, he's got so much going on. I want him to introduce himself. Duke, welcome to the show. Tell us what the heck you've been doing for the last uh, few years since you've been out of wrestling. Uh, the last few years, I am actually working in the drug court or recovery court program here in the county that I live in, in middle Tennessee, uh, you know, working with individuals who are facing jail or prison time with an underlying substance abuse problem and perhaps mental health issues. And, you know, we take them out of jail and we put them through a very strict supervision program that's coupled with, uh, you know, recovery skills and treatment classes and counseling as well. That's amazing. And that's wonderful. And that's, that's so needed in today's society because that's, you know, homelessness, these shootings, it's all stemming from uh, mental illness and, and not knowing what a person's got to do. And many of them are on drugs and you're going right for the core. You're going right for the juggler vein. Good. Kudos to you. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's something that's a bit different. There's really not much in terms of programming offered in the jail setting or even in the prison setting uh, that tends to work. Uh, this program kind of eases them back into living in society. Like I said at the beginning, it's very strict. And as they work their way through the program, it's a year and a half program. Uh, each, each phase they work through, they earn a little bit more freedom as they, you know, get back into living their lives as normally as possible. And, uh, we also teach them to live life without, you know, using drugs and alcohol and things of that nature. Wow. And so let's start Dave, the story, because honestly get to him in wrestling first, because why, what led Duke to where he is or Mike is, is Mike, but again, Duke, everyone calls Duke the dumpster. Yeah. He went through a transformation because of a story. He never thought he would be where he is today. 
and yet he's happy because he feels fulfilled. And so go ahead and ask that first question, Dave. Yeah, well, it all started in wrestling. So how did you go from being, you know, Duke to this amazing wrestler? Well, I mean, I grew up watching wrestling. I loved it. Uh, I grew up in South Florida, you know, the old days of championship wrestling from Florida with Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, you know, Barry Windham, Lex Luger. And I was a big fan growing up. So I knew early on, well, probably about high school, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a professional wrestler. And I still went to college and did all the things you should do to have a fallback plan but my focus all along was becoming a professional wrestler. So I, uh, one day kind of hatched a scheme when I found out that actually Vince McMahon, the owner of the world wrestling federation was at a convention in my hometown in Miami, actually in Miami beach. And I just put on a suit and got some credentials from a TV executive that I was friends with. And I just kind of crashed the convention. I just walked in there like I was an executive and walked right up to Vince McMahon and told him I wanted a job, handed him a videotape and walked back out of there. And they called me a week later and brought me up for a tryout. And then I was working for the World Wrestling Federation in about 1994. That's what it takes sometimes, just not giving up, not taking no for an answer, being bold, being courageous, and you did it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you, you know, in a lot of ways I would say – you know, I realized the dream and I became a professional wrestler at the highest level. Um, but, you know, it also came with a lot of drawbacks and uh, a lot of other issues. Uh, you take a beating. I tell people that professional wrestling, that business, it's like being in a moderate car accident on a nightly basis. People don't realize, even though it's predetermined, you take a beating. And, uh, you know, you start, get, your body gets worn out and sometimes people make poor decisions like trying to self-medicate you know start taking pain medication and things of that nature or drinking a lot of alcohol to make it through the pain issues and unfortunately while i was in the wwf that is something i did and it started to negative negatively affect my wrestling career and that was basically the beginning of the end yeah yeah so, so much so much for the people who say that wrestling is fake huh Oh no! Don't you don't do that, Dave. Mike and I are gonna have to come get you. That's for sure. And <laughs> Not as me. A professional, a as, a, as, a, as a former professional wrestler, uh, I just you know see this. The business you were surprised so much. You thought once you got that contract, your life was set, right? Champagne and caviar dreams growing up watching wrestling, and then you thought once I'm in the big time, my life is going to be perfect, right? That's exactly what I thought. I thought I was going to be rich and famous right away. And uh, it didn't exactly work out that way. It was a much tougher business and industry to kind of navigate your way through. Uh, and at times I did not do it correctly. It was very difficult and it was very hard on the body um, both. So, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be coming out of the gate. It was a bit of a rude awakening in the beginning. So what would you say? Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, what would you say is your greatest moment in the WWE? My greatest moment in the WWE. Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, just going out on live television 
I, you know, there's several answers to that question, but I will say, you know, pay-per-views and stuff like that. But the very first time I went out on Monday Night Raw on live TV, so no mistakes, and did an angle with Jerry the King Lawler. And, uh, I mean, I was both excited and scared to death and so many other things at the same time, but it was live television. And I just remember right before... I walked out the curtains. I said, put up or shut up, brother. It's time to go. <laughs> and, I, and that's what happened. We went out and the, we set up a great angle. And uh, that was probably one of the most important moments uh, when I realized, okay, I can probably do this. So Wow. Yeah, and see, that's the thing that I felt uh, at times when you're in front of that crowd. And that becomes addicting, doesn't it? Uh, you become that persona in so many ways. And I think professional wrestlers – that finally reflect in their careers and look back what truly is the addicting fact and we talk we're going to talk about addiction in this interview is that you're addicted to the fans you're addicted to the crowd it's like you feel like there's nothing better than that that feeling right that is exactly the way it is it is an addiction and people don't realize um you know, walking out in front of a huge crowd of people that are either cheering or or booing you, whatever the case may be. But the fact is you can walk out and have control over such a huge crowd of people on a nightly basis. And if, you know, if they're fans and they love you and they cheer you and pe people want your autograph all the time and it's just that lifestyle where you are constantly being held up on this pedestal and people don't realize Sometimes when it comes to an end abruptly, people are not prepared for that. Walking out those curtains on a nightly basis is like a drug rush. And when all of a sudden it's gone, it's overnight, it can be quite a difficult transition for people to make. That's why a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol to cope because they can't find that feeling anywhere else because they're no longer in the industry. Is that how you became addicted to drugs and alcohol? Just doing that? Well, well, I would definitely say that was a huge part of it, but it started really with just the bumps and the bruises and taking a beating, you know, the physical beating your body takes. And that's where I got used to taking them. But then, you know, at least when you're in the World Wrestling Federation, even at that time, you know, they've got you on a pretty strict schedule of having to make towns and do shows and make appearances. But when it was all over, and basically there was nobody looking over my shoulder anymore. The drug and alcohol use really got bad. Mm. And that's, yeah. And so that's the thing is the pain. Explain to people the ring in the WWF slash WWE is a lot harder ring than some of these indie rings that are like cushions. Right. And I mean, I remember when I did TV, Shotgun Saturday night and wrestled Savio Vega and Crush. And I took a bump. I couldn't believe how hard of it. It's almost, and the ring is almost as hard as, as, as Germany, where it felt like I was bumping on concrete. Nice yeah. out taking those bumps. Yeah, a lot of people don't know how Yeah, Yeah, they think that, that, they think that the ring is like a trampoline. And the ropes are like just hitting rubber bands and bouncing all around and having a great time. And that is not the case. 
uh, that ring back in those days, that wrestling ring was very hard. And uh, in fact, I, at times I had this move where I would jump up in the air and spin around and drop an elbow on my opponent. But my upper back took the brunt of that blow against the mat. And the thing was, in those rings at that time, the further away you got from the center of the ring, the harder the ring was. And I actually, without knowing it, fractured a vertebrae <laughs> by dropping this elbow on people on a nightly basis and found out probably 11 years later that I had fractured a vertebrae in my, you know, thoracic vertebrae. And uh, it was a very heavy ring. And I always laugh at people that say, well, yeah, wrestling's fake or whatever. And I invite them to just get in a ring and try hitting the ropes. <laughs> just hit the ropes the one bruises time. You get, the bruises you get, even if you've not been, you, you wrestle for so many years and you take time off, like you made your little your comeback, you ran those ropes and you're like they hurt as much as they did when your first time because you oh, your yeah. back up, you're tough and you have bruises. You just walk over, you come back and you say, well, "What did you do today? Training?" Well, my back's hurting. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's no one thinks about this, and I feel bad for these young guys today, Mike. They take too many dumps. They take too many bumps. I they're not they're going to be so screwed up, and they're going to be shot 20 years before us in a way because they just it's ridiculous what their bumps are taking yeah and they're doing more and more of that stuff outside the ring or they're landing on rails or or they're landing on concrete floors and that stuff really doesn't give and yeah you're probably going to see a lot of guys you know people we think when we're young we think in our 20s we think we're invincible and, and i remember hearing guys like Bret hart and scott hall joke that you know when they got into the Hall of Fame, somebody was going to have to wheel them out there in, in a wheelchair. And that's not far from the truth with a lot of people. Um, people that work that style of high flying and high impact, they, it, the, your body takes a beating and it adds up. It definitely adds up. And then when wow. you're young, you don't care. And we'll talk about that. And I'm sure that Dave's question will lead to that young process. But go to the next question, Dave. Yeah, you know, how do wrestlers, but more importantly, how did you know that it was uh, the end of the line was coming and you, and you kind of hit rock bottom? Well, as far as the end of the line with wrestling, before, before I was there for just over two years in the World Wrestling Federation. And as I stated before, I started using more and more painkillers to get through the pain. And it made me irrational. Mentally, it made me irrational. I was not making good decisions. Um, I was talking to people like Vince McMahon, like in ways I shouldn't unprofessionally. And I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to be there much longer because I didn't want to be there. Um, I just wasn't happy with any of it. And the drug use made a lot worse. So, you know, after about two and a half years, um, I ended up leaving and, you know, I went home to nothing. I went home to just, you know, more drugs and more alcohol. Um, but I would say rock bottom. The first time I thought I hit rock bottom, I was living in a, uh, I was living in Miami, Florida, in what I would call a drug house on a mattress in the middle of a room uh, where the dogs would come in and use the bathroom on the floor because that was their room. And I couldn't move 
because I needed drugs or alcohol just to get up and move. And that was when I finally went to rehab the first time at least and moved to Tennessee to get away from the Florida, in, you know, influences and stuff. But yeah, that was probably the first time I hit rock bottom, but there was another. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 again, and it's a surprise that that's when you hit rock bottom, but then you said, okay, I'm going to turn around my life and go to something else. And you did recover the first time. Yeah. yeah I would that. say that. Yeah, I would say, and I, and I did, I got clean. I, I came to Tennessee. I went to rehab and did all that. Um, and then I was just discouraged with the fact of how low I had gotten. So I became determined to rebuild my life. And I started going back to school. I got a master's degree in education. I became a school teacher and a coach and all these great things. But the one thing I didn't realize I was missing during that first recovery was actual recovery. I was not going to meetings. I was not getting out in the recovery community. I was not taking care of my addiction issues. I just figured, okay, I'm off drugs. Now I'm going to get my life back. And a lot of times they call that, you know, being a dry drunk or a dry addict where you're living life, like white knuckling it all the way. And, you know, unfortunately in about 2009, when I had a foot injury, it got really bad. I made the mistake of thinking I could take pain medication again. And that was the big major relapse that I had. Wow. So who helped you finally recover from all of that? The Warren County Sheriff's Department. <laughs> uh, you know, it's yeah, funny. Really I was good at still, that. Yeah. Well, I always tell people, in order for us to really want to change, stuff has to get painful enough. At least when it comes to addiction and things like that, things got to get painful for us to finally make a change. And uh, I was in a situation where I was using drugs. I was By day, I was hanging on to a teaching job barely. And then in the evenings, I was running around getting drugs with people I shouldn't have been hanging with. And I ended up getting in trouble. And one day the police came to my house and arrested me on drug charges for selling pills. And I've still, I've got two felonies on my record now, but that was the moment where I knew, okay, this has to end and I have to do it the right way this time. And I've been doing it the right way ever since, just over six years now. How old were you at that time? Let's see, that was six years ago. So I was 45. Wow. Yeah, 45 he's, he's, years old. He's, he's still a young pup. He is. Yeah. The other guys are getting the ring at 75, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Bill Dunn. You talk about getting back in the ring and it hurts, man. Imagine it at 50 years old. It's painful. Yeah. But what about Bill and Lawler? Dundee and Lawler going in the ring at their age and still taking balls. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can imagine. There's just no way. <laughs> I know. I, I looked it up 46, and I'm like, when I got in the ring last year uh, with, uh, with Beastman and got to work out with him and felt some of those splashes and stuff like that and say, okay, go ahead and, uh, you know, give me a side. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's like, okay, maybe I should only come if someone's going to pay me well or I have yeah. a piece of the promotion and I just job somebody out quickly. And uh, that's a funny thing, Davis. Guess what? One thing he 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 his foot. He still wrestles, Dave. He, he still, still what? Wrestles. 
You still, oh, you still, you're wrestle? still wrestling? Yeah. Especially? Yes, in the mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm what you call a weekend warrior now, but I'll tell you what's, what I did is actually during the process, before I actually got arrested, I had that foot issue and I ended up, because I was using drugs and not following doctor's orders, I lost my left foot just below the calf muscles. So here I am basically a one-legged man and um, all these years later, and I have been, recently I have been, getting back in the wrestling ring on weekends and doing shows on a very limited basis. However, I should say this. I recently had an issue with my leg that, uh, well, I'll call it, it's the stump where I had my foot amputated. And I just, two weeks ago, I had to have an, uh, an infected abscess removed from my leg. So wrestling, actual in-ring wrestling is in question now in the future because, um, you know, I was just, my leg was taking too much of a beating. And again, being as old as I am, it takes a lot longer to recuperate. So, but I'm sitting home, I'm sitting home right now recovering from the surgery I had on my leg. And what's good, wow. the good thing, the good thing that he's doing is he's making sure he stays away from painkillers, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure you're not doing certain things. He's very interesting. I talked to him one time or I just did some messaging with him and I and full, giving him the full disclosure of Mike and he kind of told me in certain ways he can't do certain things that a lot of guys do, meaning a lot of different things from, hey, you know, I'm going to go and have a little too much sugar. I'm going to have a little bit of certain things. With, with addiction, you can feed one addiction that leads to another addiction. Yeah. And like you were talking about certain things that you just don't do, like pull all nighters or do certain things at times because you can go relapse quickly from just making stupid, not staying disciplined mistakes. Well, how do you deal about, with the pain then? How do you deal with the pain if you can't take painkillers? Well, you know, interestingly, this has not been that painful. It was a thousand times more painful walking around with this huge abscess on the end of my stump that I had to shove into a prosthetic leg. That was horrible. And I did it for a couple of months because I was hard-headed about going to the doctor. So this now is actually not that painful. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, it just is what it is. I learned when I first, when I first, had the foot amputated. I got arrested shortly thereafter. And I went through the drug court program that I actually work for now. And during that time, I was getting used to the very first prosthetic leg that I ever had to wear. And that is a very painful process. That's probably the most pain I've ever been in in my life, including wrestling and any other injury. And when I got through that and I knew I couldn't take painkillers because I was in the drug court program. And when I got through that, I realized there's not much I really need to take any pain medication for. If something's that bad, I'll probably be in the hospital uh, and they'll have to put me out for surgery, but I'm not, you know, I don't need, there's really, really nothing that I need to carry home a prescription for painkillers for anymore i really don't so a lot of people say they get used to the pain and and uh i guess it becomes a not a friend but a companion well plus people don't realize the human body is an amazing thing you know our our bodies can take a lot more than we give them credit for um and 
I don't feel like I'm now. I was walking around in pain with that abscess on my leg. Um, I didn't realize how much pain I was walking around in until I got it taken out. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, you do get used to pain to a certain extent, but you know, you just get used to certain things. Well, so what's what's going on now? You know, after your uh, recovery, what are your goals? What do, what do you hope to accomplish with the well, however many years you have left. Well, one of the most important things in recovery is helping other people. Once you get to a certain point, uh, and we never have every, everything figured out, but, you know, if you're like a 12-stepper, uh, you know, the 12th, 12th step of Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous talks about going out, getting involved, and helping other people and bringing them to recovery. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing I'm doing now uh, through the drug court program and other situations doing, you know, um, appearances where I speak to groups. Um, I'm supposed to go in January and talk to a drug court up uh, at a graduation for a drug court in, I believe it's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying really? to be yeah, we, have, we have to meet then if you're going to Pittsburgh. Don't, it's somewhere up there around Pittsburgh. Don't, I'm don't, 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 mistake in, don't mistake in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. I hate when people do that. I'll be in Philadelphia, I guess. guess <laughs> Philadelphia's not yeah, close to Pittsburgh. That's far away. <laughs> yeah, that's far away. I, that's like kind of someone saying in Texas, well, I'm going to be in, in uh, Houston. And, well, I'm in, you know, somewhere in El Paso. Well, yeah. yeah. That, 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 it's not that close. But if you're in Pittsburgh – I'll have to look at trying to get you some appearances when you're out here, if possible. But also, I'd love to have, you know, sit down and talk to you and, and get to have a face meeting with one of my clients for sure. Uh, go ahead, Dave, with the next question. I mean, I just, I, I love this guy. I think that honestly, you, you, you a missing foot. AEW needs to sign you tomorrow that you would <laughs> over. Okay, I'm putting you over on that. I believe that, again, if you're seeing some of these guys are getting pushed. America would love a return of the dumpster to prime time. That's my belief. Well, I would definitely not scoff at the paycheck. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. Next question. Well, the next question is uh, talking about uh, me and caregiving. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We'll jump to that one. So I, I've been a caregiver for 23 years because uh, I had no idea that my wife was going to have a headache for four days and that it was going to turn into a stroke. Stroke was going to uh, make her speech impaired, become paralyzed on one side. And so for the last 23 years, after we grieved and, and almost split up, we decided you know, to reinvent ourselves. And, and then like you, I also saw that there are a bunch of other caregivers out there who are suffering and feeling all, all alone and lost and and I wanted to help them not make the same mistakes I made. So I became Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver, and I travel all over the country now. I've been on 28 TV shows and just as many stages, you know, at Harvard and Carnegie Hall and NASDAQ, uh, sharing stage with Suzanne Summers, Martha Stewart, Ice-T, and just helping caregivers stay alive because 30% of them die. My question to you is, has caregiving touched your life in the midst of your uh, wrestling career? You know, I would have to say yes. Um, not so much 
through the wrestling business. But when I initially moved to Tennessee, uh, interestingly, my my grandmother was here. Uh, she had just suffered a major stroke, um, and it was around the clock care. So we all had to kind of pitch in. Um, and then later on with my mom, um, she passed away in January 2018. She had issues with dementia. Um, so you learn, like like you said, sometimes it can be a difficult road and you do feel like you're all alone. Um, but I think there's a certain amount, uh, when you're a caregiver, there has to be a certain amount of self-care. You have to really be cognizant of where your mind is going and how you're thinking because uh, our minds can run away with us before we realize it and, and we can get ourselves into trouble, whether it's in addiction or substance abuse or if it's depression, feeling alone and all these things. Uh, so I think it's great what you're doing, um, you know, uh, for other caregivers out there that are going through the same thing. Yeah, that's very astute of you. Uh, Self-care is where it's all about. you got to put your oxygen mask on first or you're both going to go down. Right. And I'm and assuming Dave, you part- must have had a caregiver at one point, right, oh, where you couldn't take it. care of yourself. Well, uh, my sister's taking care of me right now. <laughs> yeah, you're either going to need one or be one. That's my okay, well, I'm sure I'll need one. be ready one. for it. If I'm lucky enough to start hitting the 60s, you know, 60s or the mid-60s, I'll definitely probably need a caregiver or 10. But, yeah, because <laughs> my body's already falling apart. So, oh, but, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a thing where, uh, you know, I've always tried to be hard-headed and make my own way and not accepting of other people's helps. And that, you know, we can revert this back to substance abuse again. The day that I finally admitted to myself that I had to surrender and accept other people's help was truly the first day I started getting better. Um, That was how it worked for me. Acceptance. And that's absolutely. And that's, that's something that, Again, we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror at one point in time and really discover ourselves. It sometimes takes some people, you know, they're younger and they finally figure it out. People like Luke and I, it takes us a 20 times to hit us on the head to finally figure it out. But once we do, we have a mission and a vision, and that's what everyone needs to have. And I remember you talked about your history of recovery, uh, Duke, that you talked about specifically enough that it's just the milestone, you just, how many years since your recovery, how much you know you're transforming people's lives because of what happened when you went to, went to jail and had to recover, right? It's a power, it was a powerful anniversary for you, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's, it, it, you know, you realize when you go through a traumatic situation like that and how alone you feel and how difficult it can be to get through, you know, uh, it's very understandable why a lot of people start thinking about suicide. And, and it's a very dark and lonely place. And when you make it through and you survive those types of situations and you can at least try 
to make it easier for people that are coming through the same situation later on that you went through. Um, it can be a, it can be a very gratifying thing. I'm, I mean, I always, always want to help. I don't wish addiction on my worst enemies. It is the most horrible place. And, uh, anytime I have an opportunity to talk to somebody, but the thing about it is all the, all the drug court participants and the clients that we have, they, the one thing they love about me is I do not bullshit. I am straight up. I will tell you how it is. I will tell you what you're doing wrong. And I'll tell you, you need to get your head out of your ass. If you need to get your head out of your ass. And they love that. And they respect that because of the fact that I've been there and I've seen it and I've done it. And, and I think that is very valuable to those people. And you have the t-shirt too, Mike. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, the best place is to connect with you on Facebook. The dumpster Drosy connect to you on uh, Instagram Drosy and also Twitter, right? Those are the best places to connect with you. Cause you don't have any room on your personal page, which is the best thing in the world. People could still have room on, on the personal. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Duke the Dumpster official uh, fan page, like you said on Facebook. Duke the Dumpster official on Instagram, and I couldn't find Duke the Dumpster official on Twitter because I am real Duke Drosy on Twitter. And that's because they don't allow you to have that many characters. Twitter has to be different. You know? See, that's why I got you, Neil, because I don't understand this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for calling. I Finally, we get the opportunity to interview you, and uh, thank you for coming on the day of my anniversary in the media, and I appreciate you calling. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. All right, take care now. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All, right. All right, that was Bye the caregiver Dave celebrity segment with